1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Okay, so after way longer than I originally intended, we're ready to go with our brand new series on the use, application and impact of technology in property under the general theme of PropTech, or property technology. And over the next couple of weeks, I plan to share something of an introduction, an overview of PropTech. To help me to do that, I have managed to bag a couple of big brains and top influencers in the PropTech space to help us make sense of it all. And this week, I am joined by Andrew Baum, who is a property strategist and educator working at the Said Business School uh, within Oxford University, as well as having his own private consultancy. Then next week, we have Dan Hughes, who is Director of Data and Information Products and PropTech Lead at the RICS or RICS. So after hearing from these two, I plan to draw together some of the common threads to produce a a PropTech industry overview to set us up for the series. These next couple of weeks are all about setting the scene, as after that, I want to drill down into some of the subtopics in greater detail to look at how we can profit from and be more productive through the adoption of prop tech in our property investment businesses, or property businesses more generally actually. There might also be some opportunities or even threats to watch out for. So the series will be both practical and strategic in its approach as we unfold the theme layer by layer over the weeks ahead. So without much further ado, let's have a listen to my conversation with Andrew Baum and I will pick up some of the key themes afterwards.
0: Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter.
1: Well, hi there, everybody. I'm uh, very glad and appreciative to have Andrew Baum on the uh, on the call with me today. I always like to check the technology uh, before we get too far into things. So, Andrew, are you there, first of all?
2: Yes, I'm here. It's, it's Andrew Balm, by the way. It's a very difficult name to pronounce. Um, it was probably it? originally Baum, but it's now Baum. Yeah. So, Andrew, it's, uh, welcome to the Property Voice podcast. It's
1: really great to have you on. Um, I, I just wanted to um, introduce you. Really, I, I think you'd probably be better to introduce yourself. But um, <clears throat> I know that you've got an awful lot of experience, both in academic uh, world and also the business world around property. Would you Would you like to elaborate just a little bit so our, our listeners have a bit of context about who you are and your, and your background?
2: Sure, Richard. Um, you know. My, The fact that I've got a lot of experience is a very polite way of saying I'm getting on a bit now. Um, My father was a charter surveyor who worked for a county council and then I couldn't think of a better thing to do so I became a charter surveyor and uh, one of my sons is also a charter surveyor so property Mm -hmm. runs in the family. Uh, None of us have been been made particularly wealthy by property investing. We've always tried to do a professional job and um, and in my own case I've, I've been a university teacher right since the age of 21 so I qualified as a surveyor. I, taught, I I worked for the district valuer and, the, and a couple of borough councils, and then I went to teach at Reading, and then I had a eureka moment working in Singapore for a year, retrained as a, an investment analyst and a finance person, did a PhD, and then uh, started working for Prudential um, in its property research business, forecasting the UK property market, and then since then I've been teaching in universities, particularly in business schools, and running my own consulting business, which tends to look at... Strategic issues for property investors um, in commercial property and now also in residential property. Um, as a private investor, I do have I do have one or two buy to lets, so I can speak you know about the pain that we will suffer in that particular area. But, but but mainly I'm a sort of an independent strategy strategy consultant and a and a university teacher.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you for that. And um, I think we, we had a bit of a, a pre discussion before we, we hit record. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things I'm particularly interested in is the big picture. We're here talking about uh, property technology, you know, trends that are coming down line, perhaps things that are already there because um, we shouldn't overlook that. I think people perhaps um, in the property industry are, you know, um, you know they've got a couple of buy to lets, they're perhaps looking to grow, and they might not even be aware of some of the things that are here and now. Uh, so when we talk about prop tech or property technology, I'm interested in maybe things that are here and now that we could take advantage of, but also what's coming downstream. So I'd be very interested to hear your views, um, perhaps in both of those little camps, if we can talk about it. Um, so, sure, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. No, you sounded like you had
2: something you were ready to... Well, well I, was, I was going to say that I recently had a couple of conversations with friends, one of whom was... Um, Thinking of selling their house and buying a house very nearby and wanted to know what the modern way of selling a house was and uh, Even even when I've written a report on prop tech that that's 95 pages long and spent all my time thinking about this stuff I still couldn't really think of the obvious way of selling your house other than going to an estate agent in the local town You know we're aware of purple bricks and e-move and all these things and there must be any number of websites that you can use to sell your house yourself but none of them have really got the traction to the point where they are the natural recommendation. And never having used any of them, it's very difficult for me to say that's the way to go and do it. So we're always slow moving in the property industry because houses don't sell very often. And it's because they don't sell very often that I can't give personal recommendations to people to use any particular sort of technology because I've not used it myself in the last five years. And of course, five years ago, it probably didn't exist. So you're absolutely right that this stuff exists. It's just that the the um, the surety or the confidence of using it and recommending it is not there because people just don't have experience of it yet. And property is such a slow-moving instrument that it's difficult to gain that experience. The same thing is also true of letting sites, where there's probably a little bit more velocity in lettings than in sales. But again, you know there are lots of people out there working very hard to professionalise and And make efficient the letting process and websites that will help you do that and help you select the best letting agent with the best feedback. Um, But again, people are not familiar with it because they've not used it yet. So it's going to take a bit of a while before the technology, that, as you quite rightly say, is already there, gets adopted to the point where it becomes the market standard, I think.
1: Yeah, I think I think that you make you know an awful lot uh, of true statements there it's a slow slow moving industry and for a number of reasons, I like usually rightly say, for a number of transactions for one, but also I think the the level of adoption um perhaps in the in the industry generally speaking. Um but we know we've got some disruptive technologies emerging, um, don't we? And, and and I guess um, you know what what's your take on perhaps what's coming and you know what's what's in the near term that people might be um, you know interested in uh, that, that, that that you know you're gaining insights on Andrew.
2: Well, I, I, I'm um, I'm fascinated by the interplay between traditional estate agencies, uh, online estate agents like Purple Bricks and eMove, and the portals, um, Right Move, Zupla, and so on. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and, um, and, and wonder how this is going to play out where, where I think my own personal hypothesis is that I can't see why Rightmove, for example, wouldn't move directly into the estate agency business and start selling houses online. And I think that's the, the, the big change that's just around the corner. Um, what inhibits these, these portals from doing that at the moment is that most of their income comes from estate agents who are their lifeblood um, but, but right move is very profitable and must be building up cash piles. That means it at some point could take the risk of, um, of, of competing with its, its customer base, um, in such a way that the customer base eventually says, well, okay, we just got to work with these people, even if they are in competition with us. It's happened many times before and I can see it happening again. So I think that's one, one thing round the corner where, you know, the, the problem I talked about before is where we, none of us have got real confidence in any of these new startups. In terms of how you would sell your house yourself, I think if a big brand like Rightmove suddenly came out with a proposition uh, that that helps me sell my house privately, um, I can see that suddenly taking on quite a lot of, um, of business. So that's what's one thing that's around the corner. Mm-hmm. And I think the, um, the the letting process is probably going to become um, equally disintermediated through through web searches because the um, uh, because the competition is less strong you know the um, there's less reason for agents to fight back against that because they're not making quite the same fees out of it so it's a a market that's ready for disruption it's, it's always great to look at the us where where there is so much more money invested in this in the us because the, the volumes are so much bigger and there are companies that have raised 50 million us dollars from one investor just to set up automatic valuation programs so that any house in the US can be valued automatically the value would be put online as home and Zoopla can already mm-hmm. um, but why why would you why would you need to get a um, evaluation for your mortgage from a bank why wouldn't you simply use the number that's on the website that somebody's estimated through artificial intelligence and I can see that as the next thing as well you know the sooner or later instead of the the idea that your house is put on the market it might be replaced by the idea that every house is on the market all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you imagine a sort of a Facebook for houses site that, that's got every house listed. You click on it, you get a, you get a floor plan, you get a picture. Um, you might not know much about it, but you're capable of making an offer for it. And, and somebody will have put an algorithm underneath that website which says, this house is worth £440,000. Do you fancy making an offer? And I can see that being around the corner. That's a sort of a slight revolution, really, in the way houses are looked at.
1: Yes. I wanted to come back on that one, actually, because, you know, I see the whole sort of automated valuations as um, being a growth area. And as you rightly point out, you know, you can go on to some of the portals now. I think Zoopla in particular, they've got their own sort of uh, algor- algorithm running, uh, which puts a value against a property. Yep. The, um, and, of course, then you've got, you know, an extension of that. You mentioned uh, mouse price already, but you've got home track as well. Um, who who do these sort of desktop uh, evaluations and I know some of the lenders are using uh, some of those platforms as well um, to, yeah. to, to get a desktop valuation. but one of the things that um, I've found you know I've used those services myself, uh, obviously Zupla of you know obviously, and then uh, also um, both home track and, uh, and mouse price and it's really the data quality. and um, you know when when you kind of put the human eyes, into it, you can perhaps see. Uh, it talks about there's a value range, um, so it kind of gives this whole standard deviation sort of get out of jail free card, if you like. Um, so, but uh, I've noticed, yeah. you know, sometimes the data quality is a bit amiss, and you can come out with a rogue valuation. So, do you think the there's going to be some, you know, uh, you know, changes in terms of the data quality that's going to help improve those valuations?
2: Well, I um, mean, two two comments. and so number one. Number one, we just don't invest enough in technology. Um, the uh, when when you you know, as I mentioned, that this business in the U.S., which is called House Canary, which has raised a lot of money, and we're talking, I say, fifty million from one investor means that they've got a lot of money to invest. They they will put more resources into the accuracy of their valuation algorithm than Zoopla or HomeTrack or or RightMove could possibly afford to do uh, in the UK unless they really bet the ship on the on this particular process Uh so the US tends to be a a richer capital raising market and and can therefore invest in better quality technology which means usually what happens is that they develop the technology and then come over here and, and and buy our businesses and impose their algorithms on us so I can see that that's gonna gonna happen so that's the first comment is that is that people investing enough money in these algorithms will eventually create enough accuracy for the banks to rely on this as the as the way of uh, um of, of validating their mortgage loans mm-hmm. um i mean the second point i'd make is that if you're if you're offering or lending 95 percent of the value of a house then you're going to be much more concerned by your risk underwriting mm-hmm. and you will probably be very reluctant to use an avm automated valuation model but if your if your loan is limited to 75 percent, then the accuracy level of the automated valuation is much less critical. And if you could get a ch- if you can be told or, or persuaded that 95 percent of the time you're going to be within 10 percent and you're only lending 75 percent of the value, then why wouldn't you simply cut out all valuers, move to the automated valuation system? And the revenue model then for these AVMs is going to be fees from mortgage lenders. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I can see it happening.
1: No, I mean, I I get it. It's there already. It is the accuracy. And I do agree with you that if you're lending, you know, if you're lending loan to value, there's got a little bit of tolerance. um, Then, you know, you can afford a little bit of latitude, let's say, in the valuation. So, yeah, get that one. Um, Yeah. I think the, the whole point, you made a point about disintermediation and disruption. Uh, and I think that, that surely you know, is a trend you just identified, both in the sales and the lettings industry. We've kind of now picked up on it a little bit in the valuation industry, too. So um, you know, yeah. we're probably not going to be very you know, fav- favorite people with uh, estate agents, letting agents and surveyors after this conversation. But I think technology does play a big part, doesn't it, in shaping industry shifts from traditional to you know, the sort of lower cost delivery uh, mechanisms. Another one I can think of, for example, is conveyancing. So, um, yeah, have you got any insights or thoughts around the conveyancing industry?
2: Well, I mean, just, just one general comment, Richard. I'm, I'm you know, I'm not, I'm not an, an unadulterated fan of technology. I, you know, I, I find it irritating. I, I don't want ever to give my location on my phone. Yeah. I won't use Uber. There are all sorts of things that limit my love of technology. And I, I'm perfectly capable of constructing a skeptical argument about why much of the technology we talk about is overrated and won't make as much impact as, as it, as it is often said to. Mm-hmm. So everything I've just talked about in terms of conveyancing and in terms of, sorry, in terms of house valuation and the transaction process, I think, I think those things are going to happen, but there are going to be lots of things which take a lot longer to happen than, than people would have us believe. So we, we right now in Oxford, we've, got three research
0: um,
2: programs running, one on blockchain, which is a a way of storing information in the cloud in order that it's accessed by people subject to being given permission to access that data, Uh that could absolutely revolutionize conveyancing. Uh Um, If if you imagine a situation where all of the previous reports on the property, the title, any leases, um, any any covenants, uh, structural surveys, architects drawings service connections everything that you'd want to know about that property if that are accessible in one file that is accurate and non-hackable so that every time the building is sold you add another file to that 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 ledger or that block of data and that block is always available subject to being given permission then you would expect the convincing process to become more quick and and less repetitive so that things like local authority searches might not need to be done every time, you certainly wouldn't need to measure the building and so on. Now block, blockchain is going to take years and years and years to get implemented because it's very difficult to understand. We need to understand how investors get protected from fraud. It's going to take people a long time. And because because property is such a large part of person's wealth of a person's wealth, he's going to be very, very careful and conservative before he trusts data that's sort of somewhere in the cloud. So the blockchain is very important. Conveyancing will become more efficient, but it's going to take a long time before people really take that on board. I suspect, and the same thing would apply to big data. You know, people talk about the data that's available to Facebook and Google and and these guys through mobile phones and the sort of stuff that's the data that's been generated all the time. Very few people really talk about what exactly that data's got any uses for. You know, it's everybody assumes that it's incredibly valuable, and we know that people buy it. But if you were buying a house, what data would you really find useful that comes out of somebody's mobile phone? It's, it's that hard work has not yet been done, and I suspect that you know might lead to a few disappointments. There mm-hmm. might be less there than you think there's going to be. Um, the third piece of work we're doing is on uh, smart cities, and um, a, again, the ability of cities to become intelligent is extremely limited. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a, a slow-moving change as well.
1: Well, I think that's well,
2: sort of to be negative.
1: No, uh, actually, no. In fact, you've hit a point I really wanted to bring out, um, which is, you know, we can get very excited about, you know, emerging technology. And we just need to look at history to see that there's, you know, uh, people, the big, big players. Just look at what happened around the sort of uh, around 2000. You know, some of the big players in, on the Internet are not here anymore. And in fact, it was more of a second Mm. generation that survived. So sometimes, you know, I I heard someone say recently, I love this phrase, it's that sometimes the first one through the door is the one who gets shot. And, um, you you know, sort of diffuse cowboys and Indians type of analogy. But uh, I'm speaking to you from the US at the moment, so it's probably top of mind. Uh, So it's a bad example. I'm sorry. You know, I think we can get carried away with um, with technology and just go rushing and become early adopters and perhaps go down the wrong track. So I'm very much of mind with two things you said there. one is um, some things could happen much slower um, than than we imagine. And, you know, I've been reading a lot about robots replacing as, uh, you know, doing jobs, for example, and we're talking about a 50 year horizon for, you know, and still not getting a 100 percent replacement type of thing. Um, so yeah it's, it's slow-moving. It's not going to happen immediately and, and sometimes you know I was reading sometimes a robot trying to fold a you know a towel if they can't do it because they need dexterity. dexterity you know they need to be more dexterous than uh, And have the skill set that a person
2: can have and it's they haven't quite got that anyway yeah, I, I digress but so no, I no, I agree. I yeah, I agree I mean if I could just come back on that I and mean, oh. the the analogy that I that I I think about is How many times have I used Amazon to purchase books or records or or whatever? And it's probably running at one transaction a week for the last five years. Mm -hmm. So, so for me, that is 250 transactions. Mm -hmm. So I've used Amazon 250 times by now. I've got total trust in how it works. I know what to do. My phone is set up so that I can effect a transaction really quickly. and And I know what I'm doing. How many times have I bought and sold a house? five times mm. in my entire life. Oh right, okay. <laughs> so how ha- how how quickly am I likely to change the way I buy and sell a house when I've only done it five times?
1: Yeah.
2: You know, the 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 ability of the human brain to take on new ways of doing things is is generally controlled to some extent by its experience. So if it if it experiences something enough it was it will change its habit and do something differently but but the house process is is something that we just don't do often enough to um, to abandon any knowledge we have about you know very quickly so it's one of the reasons why why the property industry is very conservative and resistant to change it's not because people are deliberately resistant it's just that people are habit creatures of habit and those habits don't get changed very easily um, you know, the, ter- the average turnover in an Amazon warehouse is 15 times a year. So the stock in an Amazon warehouse turns over 15 times. The average house sells once every five or six years.
1: Mm.
2: So the, amount, the velocity of this market is, is very, very small compared to the velocity of the retail market. And um, people think about technology affecting shopping. Well, it will affect shopping because people are doing it so quickly so many times. But it, it ain't going to happen in the house market at the, anything like the same speed.
1: Yeah, I think I think you make some good points. I think uh, you you touched on earlier that there's perhaps greater velocity uh, in the lettings industry. There might be more great, more velocity in the finance industry as well, um, because yeah. people remortgage more quickly than they do purchase, um, for example. So I, I can potentially yeah. see some um, to drift into fintech or financial technology. Some changes there. In fact, we already see some, don't we? We see peer-to-peer and crowdfunding. Um, alternative um, you know players coming into the into the four but they're still very much a minority aren't they right now um, yeah and so do you, do you well, say, I agree do you, yeah do you, so I think it, is it is it more gradual change a lot of noise and, and not you know massive you know ge- you know ge- shifting gears is that your, your sort of conclusion if you like in what we can expect to see
2: well I think some things will change more quickly than others I, but everywhere everywhere I look in the property industry I see reasons for slow change rather than fast change. You take an example, you know, we've talked about the big capital transaction which inevitably is going to change slowly because people are going to be very careful before they take risks uh doing things remotely, uh giving data away about things that might might uh describe seventy percent of their total net net worth. You know, they're gonna be very, very careful to in the way they change that, if you take transactions that are nothing like that to do with housing, like using a plumber, using an electrician, using a builder, mm-hmm. that should be disintermediated very, very quickly. You know we should have very efficient websites that will tell you exactly how many plumbers there are in your area, who's got the least work right now and therefore can come and do a, do the work most quickly. We should have bidding processes, online auction systems that say, right, I need a plumber for an hour, who's going to offer me the best price, and so on and so on. But of course, the problem with that is that there aren't that many plumbers, electricians and builders who will study the technology and set up their own technological websites to make that happen. So wherever you look, there are blocks that, that are um, um, you know, limiting the adoption of technology in the property market by the very nature of the asset class um where i think change will happen and could happen more much more quickly is things like in in the finance market so things like crowdfunding platforms peer to peer lending platforms those things are already happening to a reasonable extent um and and i think you, you there's no real reason why those things can't become reasonably reasonably popular and successful um and and they are gaining some some weight
1: yeah, and I think um, you, uh, what I'm detecting really is that the, whilst the technology might exist, it's it's really appetite, and more importantly, the capital investment, which perhaps um, you know limits the the expansion of uh, of the uh, of the rollout of this sort of technology to to make a difference to us in, in the shorter term. It's more of a, a yeah. Term. We'll wait for the Americans to come over I'll, and <laughs> show us how it's done. Well.
0: That's
2: the- it's probably right Richard. I, I think another way of another way of thinking about this is that this is a, you know, a, it's ab to B2C market. So the yeah. um, if you want to launch a technology platform and make it very, very successful and very big, you've got to spend an, an enormous amount of money on marketing and branding and television advertising and, and all the things that go along with that. And um, that requires a huge amount of money. And and tech firms in the UK particularly don't tend to raise Those large amounts of money. They tend to develop very nice tech solutions to problems but then fail to get to market in the scale and um, with the impact that they need in order to really change behaviors mm-hmm. Which is why we keep talking about right move because yeah. it's one of the few property platforms that has got um, it has got an image you know it 's got a it 's got a brand mm-hmm. and there are very very few property businesses that have any brand whatsoever you know they just don't don 't have the budget to uh, to create those brands yeah um, you, you think about you know go
1: ahead, sorry
2: and I was just going to say if you think about how well known paypal eBay Amazon are and just then then start thinking about how much money they spent on promoting their businesses you know you 're into the billions and billions of dollars uh, range and Nobody's got that sort of resource for a a UK property market. And just to add another factor on, you know, there is no European property market. There is a British property market or an English property market, a Mm -hmm. French property market. And all of these countries have got their own tech solutions, none of which talk to each other. They're in different languages. Mm -hmm. Um, There's different legal systems, different processes. We don't have notaries in the UK. They do in France and, Mm -hmm. and so on and so on and so on. And that just stops the market raising the amounts of capital that you need to create a really efficient economical process, which in the U.S. Um, they can do, and in China they absolutely can do. You know, the scale over there means that you can, you, you can create big tech businesses. And if you look at, the, look at the size of the biggest tech businesses in the world, there are four huge tech businesses in, or five huge tech businesses in, in the U.S., and there are three huge tech businesses in China, and there are no big tech businesses anywhere else. The biggest european tech business is booking.com um it's a minnow an absolute minnow compared to facebook google amazon microsoft and the other one that i've forgotten apple um and there are three three huge chinese tech businesses alibaba um and a couple more and and that's it you know there's nothing else anywhere near those sizes
1: yeah, I, you know, I'm kind of listening and thinking, you know, what you're saying as we as we sort of had this discuss, uh, this discussion. It, it might be the first person through the door gets shot sort of thing, or in other words, they get acquired by, um, you know, Facebook or Google. And if you, I'm kind of detecting some of the things you're saying, but it's around the edges. It's the peripheral services where you'll see the greatest change or the fastest change. Uh, so, for example, you talked yeah. about plumbers. And uh, you know, and I know that John Lewis—they're not a major, global player—but they're a sort of a, a fairly, you know, reasonable-sized business in the UK. And they've just launched a, a local sort of handyman and plumbing um, contractor search facility. And of course, it's all you know, right. aim, aim for them to link into their their homewares um, sales process. So, and then you've got other people. You've got you know, there's a company, a little company called Anyvan, and all they do is they just find empty vans on the way back from a from a drop off and offer offer the space right. you know and so the, yeah. the, that's a very useful way of using the technology um, delivering it to I mean they deliver these uh, services online so it's low cost of delivery and they just match up you know it's kind of the shared economy almost certainly the any van model yeah um, but yeah going back to the other thing about the, the sort of deep pockets and the capital investment required I think um, I was looking at home automation and you know it's an it's an area perhaps of technology that that you know we could deploy. Um, but I was in I was looking at home at home uh, automation about fifteen years ago, and one of the problems then was there was a, a lack of um, connection, and connectivity um, that existed between yeah. all the different systems. And it's still the same today, pretty much, apart from you've now got Google and uh, Amazon, who are stepping into that marketplace. And, of course, they yeah. have exactly what you said. They have the brand awareness. They have the, the, the deep pockets, the capital. And they're starting to shake it up. And, they're, they're you know, they're dealing yeah. with the Amazon Echo, and I think it is, and the the Google Home, if I've got the right names, um, they're starting yeah. to, to link these technologies together. So you can control your lights and your sound and your your video, yeah. or, you know, uh, eat from different manufacturers and have this sort of home yeah. automation solution. So I, I've said a lot there, but, yeah. you know, does that sort of fit into where, what you think is, is going to happen in the immediate term?
2: I'm afraid so. I mean, I I, I dislike and distrust a lot of this. You know, it's the, it's not a world I particularly want to be in where, where you have three or four huge global corporations that control everything we do. But unfortunately, that seems to be pretty much where we are. Um and, um, I, I, equally don't want my dishwasher to rise up and attack me in the middle of the night either, <laughs> which is a, you a, know, a, a slight fear that I do have about all these interconnected systems. But, but I do, I do switch my heating on remotely by my telephone when I'm driving down the motorway to my house. And, um, you know, that's, that's a quite a useful thing to be able to do. And I think many of these, um, many of these facilities are, are scary, but many of them are, Absolutely, what we need because I think the root of most of this smart building technology is in energy saving, and uh, that's something that you know the world has to has to solve. So I think um, the the big engineering companies will probably face out the or, or will fight the the big tech companies in in the ultimate solutions here, and you're probably going to see mergers between Google and Siemens and people like that at some point. Um, and we're going to see we're going to see all these sorts of alliances formed between engineering companies and and the and the, the market men, you know, the people who can take the products to the bigger market.
1: Mhm. Well, you know, I think what we've what we've this discussion is centred around the, the big picture, as we talked about, um, you know, uh, about what's coming. And I think the the big takeaways for me from what you're saying are that don't expect anything too soon. Um, mm. Perhaps you know uh, the biggest changes will come on the periphery you know property related yeah. services rather than necessarily property transactions um yeah. you know we might see some you know um, quicker wins let's say in financing which has got you know it's going to touch a lot more of my audience um you know directly um and then we've got some useful sort of gadgets that, that we can deploy as well for example around home yeah. automation Um
2: but um is that, yeah. is
1: that a fair summary really of how you see it
2: i th- I think so I think the one the one possible exception to that is is this blockchain technology, which yeah. I would recommend everybody to familiarize themselves with it, you know it may be that we should already be assembling um information about our properties in a digital format in a way that means that the, the information can be held and transferred efficiently. You know, even without knowing anything about blockchain, it may be that if you can start assembling your documentation and digitising it, you're gonna be in a good position for the world as it unravels. Um whereas I know from my own position that the the least that I've got is a photocopy of a nineteen ten document. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's in a in a paper file somewhere which I often lose. And I've got something else hanging around some of them file my wife's got some of the documents and all of that stuff really needs to be digitized put into one document that that I can I can offer to somebody at some point point. and I think that's the world we need to get ready for you know get of rid, get rid of your paper get everything into digital format if make it as efficient as you possibly can because that ultimately will put you in a better position when you're buying selling or letting.
1: Well, I agree, I, you know, I could have a conversation, I mean, of course, people understand, they might not know about blockchain, they might have heard about Bitcoin, of course, of course, and its related yeah. cryptocurrencies which are built on blockchain, uh, blockchain technology, so perhaps to put it in, in the context that people are now becoming more familiar with, but I think what really is the, the benefit of uh, things like Bitcoin is the technology in which it's built on, as you say, and I think Ethereum in particular is, uh, uses, has a concept of smart contracts, these digital contracts, and yeah. I see you know that can make be a real game changer. A lot of people are saying it's going to be the the internet, uh, you know, the, the now the the equivalent of the internet you know coming in the 1990s and 2000s. So um yeah but whether it you know progresses at that pace um I'm not sure how quick the internet unfolded in all rea- in all honesty but um you know I do think that can make quite a lot of difference as you say to a number of industries.
2: Yeah. Well, I can remember the internet unfolding and it, and it sort of, um, it came into my consciousness about 1995 mm-hmm. and it had taken off by about 1999. So it was about a, there was a four year period where it, it just, you know, grew exponentially. Mm-hmm. And that's when email took off and then dot com, the dot com boom took place right at the end of that period. Mm-hmm. So blockchain at some point, you know, if it, if it is internet 2.0, then there will be a period, a, a period where there's rapid adoption and, uh, and it changes the face of the world in a a short period of time but that's not not here yet i mean that's a that's a couple of well god knows how far away it is i think in my report so in the report i wrote on prop tech i think i suggested 2022 something like that before that starts to happen but it it could 2022 Um, that's not so far away not not not, too
1: far away is it no no it's it's not too far away but yeah, actually, you've queued me up really because I'm also conscious. I know that you've got to shoot off, and I appreciate you joining us on the call. But um, I know that you've you've got a couple of publications um, that you know that perhaps people might be interested in, and perhaps even um, the the course that you run that you mentioned to me off air. Uh, would you like to just share a little bit about? Yeah, that sure.
2: That? Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Richard. Um, first of all, the report I wrote on PropTech, which is free and easily accessed, is. Um, is called Proptech 3.0. Um and if you Google Proptech 3.0 in my name, Baum B A U M, then you'll you'll find it very easy to download the PDF of that of that report. And then um if you Google Andrew Baum Oxford then you'll see my exec ed program that is running in April. Uh we we tend to have fifty uh fifty or so professional property investors uh, if you are a professional investor and you you want to get some deep knowledge in a five day period, then please have a look at that. But um, uh, I, I'm not going to bombard everybody with tweets and daily thoughts because I don't really have daily thoughts. This is um, <laughs> 60 years of effort gone into this conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, if I can uh, if I can add in add to anybody's knowledge, then that would be a wonderful thing. Great. And, and so, is the best way to reach you
1: through your Andrew Borm uh, website. I can put links in the show notes if you like.
2: I I think my Oxford website is probably the best way. Okay. So Bourne Oxford. I think the Andrew Bourne website is probably going to be taken down at some point soon.
1: Okay. Great. Well, I'll make sure there's a link in, the, in our show notes. We always attach to uh, to this podcast when it goes out. So, if anybody wants to t- talk about that, I, I had a quick look at some of your publications, and uh, I, I'm quite interested. This is a bit of a digression, but I'm uh, quite interested in using things like discounted cash flow and and that kind of thing to to look at investment propositions. I used to work in B two B finance financial services, so I was quite familiar with that kind of thing. But it's not something that you know your average residential property investor perhaps. You know, looks at so much, um, but I think um, you know there's a greater call for being more professional, and uh, I'm sure that your your paper on prop tech, and uh, and, and certainly your course uh, that you, you run your exec ed uh, program rather, um, can help people who just want to be much more professional. Um, in in the operation. So thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I really appreciate it. It's been a fascinating conversation and um, I'll obviously uh, put all the links in the show notes and uh, you might get a couple of people um, reaching out to you, Andrew. So thank you.
2: Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, Richard, and uh, good luck in everything else. else. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All the best. Bye. Bye.
1: Okay, so... What are the summary and key takeaways that we can detect from, uh, from that discussion, which I very much enjoyed uh, with Andrew? Well, I always enjoy talking to people who have bigger brains and different perspectives to my own, as this helps me to broaden my horizons and so learn new things. Therefore, having this discussion with Andrew was one I was looking forward to very much, and hopefully you enjoyed it too. So apart from Andrew's deep-rooted fear of being attacked in the night by a Terminator-style Internet of Things powered dishwasher rising up, what are the key themes on what's coming in PropTech that we can detect from his comments and, uh, and insights? Well, the first one, the first signpost really is PropTech 3.0, uh, which if you remember is, uh, is something that a- Andrew mentioned uh, during the course of our conversation. Uh, and that's the first thing to highlight, which is his excellent paper on PropTech, which you can find a link to in the show notes. Now, it's almost 100 pages packed full of research on the sector and the trends emerging uh, from within it. And as you'll hear as we progress through the series, it perhaps does not include everything there is to know, such as Contech or construction technology, which uh, which is deliberately excluded from his research paper for reasons he explains it within it. So I'll let him do that better than I will. Equally, I do sometimes blur the lines just a little bit by also drifting into biz tech or business technology, as it could relate to people operating property related businesses in general, in a general sense, as well as pure investing. And of course, a lot of prop tech applies to the commercial property investment sector not necessarily wholly to the residential property uh, uh, residential sorry residential property sector which of course is my particular bias and, and I'm sure yours too but good foundations all the same so do get yourself a copy of that plus if you like the sound of an intensive immersion program into property Uh, at the Saeed Business School, which is part of Oxford University, then make sure you check out his five-day exec ed or executive education uh, program on real estate. I'm going to be doing it myself, actually, or just certainly checking it out. So there you go. That's the first point. The second point is, uh, best summarized, as cash is still very much king. The ones with the deepest pockets Or in other words, the capital to invest in B2C or business-to-consumer branding and technological rollout are likely to make the longest strides. So expect the tech giants from the USA such as Google, Amazon, Apple and Facebook or from China such as Alibaba and one or two others to be dominant forces whether whether through their own development activities or indeed through mergers and acquisition. Third, change may be hampered by the lower property transaction volumes and also perhaps a failure to fully realize the benefits in applications that some tech initially at least seems to promise, such as applying big data or artificial intelligence to an individual property purchase. Will it all live up to the hype in other words? So um, the slower rate of uh, transaction volumes or, or deal velocity, transaction velocity, might hamper progress as indeed, you know, the rollout of certain technologies might not, you know, deliver all it's promising to do. Fourth, some of the more short-term changes could come in more property-related sectors. So, for example, valuations and surveys, the lettings industry, or the property finance sector. Fifth, or in fact, uh, finally, um, some potential game changes along the horizon that Andrew certainly illuminated. Uh, The first was uh, uh, the increased use of big data and artificial intelligence to streamline certain services like automated valuations. Second was the potential industry crossovers from big brand or cash rich players such as Rightmove crossing into direct sales and lettings potentially. And big tech players such as Google and Amazon extending their reach into the engineering space. Uh, For example, with their voice interface to gadgets and uh, developments, sorry, gadget developments, and acquisition of technology manufacturers such as with Nest, the Nest acquisition by Google. Then we've got blockchain technology, which Andrew suggested might be within the next five years to be fully realized, but five years can come, come around pretty quickly. So this blockchain, blockchain rather, technology, which of course things like Ethereum and Bitcoin are built on, could lead to greater digitization and the use of smart contracts that could shake up industries like conveyancing and legal, uh, the legal industry or legal profession generally. And then, of course, we've got the increase in home automation for existing homes and smart home technologies for new build developments, which can help to deliver our global energy efficiency goals as well. So that's a driver, in other words, to accelerate the rate of change for home automation and smart home technologies. Long story short, there will be winners and losers. There'll be some quick wins and also some disappointments. There'll be some early adopters and also some resistant bystanders. Amazing new technology that solves genuine problems, along with some that seem to exist without a real purpose as well. But one way or another, prop tech means change. And my aim over the next weeks of this series is to help to make some sense of all this, along with the fantastic contributions of people like Andrew Baum, who live and breathe this sort of stuff on a daily basis and have done for some time. My goal is to not only educate and signpost, but also to look at the strategic as well as the practical implications of what is a vast topic, trust me, at the leading edge of our industry. And I hope that you'll continue to tune in as we unravel the many layers that exist within this wonderful PropTech theme. A couple of quick bywords before I finish today. As it happens, I've also chosen PropTech as the theme for my contribution to Your Property Network magazine for February. So check out that in the next couple of weeks when it lands on your doorstep towards the end of January. Or you can email me for a subscription-free copy of my own piece, not the whole magazine, of my own piece, if you prefer. Second, a little bit of credit here, a large part of the preparation for this series has to be credited to the lovely Helen Pollock, who specialises in PR and, uh, and related activities. And she's helped me to knock some of the research into shape and has also assisted immensely with the guest list for the series as well. So if you need a writer or a PR, PR contact that also understands property and now indeed property technology or prop tech, then she's your lady. Again, message me and I will happily introduce you to her. Right, enough already. Next week I will be joined by Dan Hughes from the RICS, or Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, who along with Andrew Baum, occupy the top two ranked positions as, as prop tech Influencers. So you really are getting the heavyweights in this series straight out of the gate, I can tell you. Finally the show notes can be found over at thepropertyvoice.net or if you want to talk about anything from today's show perhaps receive an intro into one of my guests or just talk property investing then you can email me podcast at thepropertyvoice.net and I'll be happy to hear from you. But for now all I want to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week and until next time on the Property Voice podcast it's ciao ciao.